Our text this morning will be Psalm 46, so hopefully you have your Bible with you, you have a device. And Psalm 46 is a, a very fitting text for the uneasiness that, that we feel in our world today. Because I'm willing to bet that, that most of you coming into this room, coming into worship Christ, are full of worries and are full of of anxieties. Questions such as, when are businesses going to be open? When can I return back to work? When should I go to the grocery store? How am I going to, to pay rent or the mortgage or this car payment? Are kids going to be back in school in the fall? Those and a thousand other questions are swimming in your mind right now and it's it's like we're we're on a raft in the middle of the ocean we're just bouncing back and forth with very little direction and almost no control and what psalm 46 does is it puts a rock under our feet it takes our eyes off of the circumstances that if we're honest we are just constantly bombarded with and it focuses them solely on Christ. Because I, I do not hesitate to say that the greatest need of the world today is not a vaccine for COVID-19, but rather is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest need for the world today. Because the reality is, like it or not, we will all one day die. And where you stand in relationship to God, where you spend eternity is of utmost importance. It is our top priority. And what we see in this psalm is the security that those who are in Christ are able to enjoy. That we have no need to fear the future, no need to fear the present because God is with us. So hopefully by now you have turned to Psalm 46, which says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, and though, it's, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms Totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So this psalm is divided into, into three sections that are connected by the word Selah, which simply means to, to stop, to pause, to, to think about and dwell on what was just said. And each of these three sections give us different glimpses, different aspects of the same glorious reality, which is the theme of the psalm, which is that God is with His people, protecting them, and that His followers need only to trust Him. So let me say that again. Again, this is the theme of Psalm 46, that God is with His people, protecting them, and that Christians need only trust Him. And verse 1 says that, that God is our, our refuge and our strength. Now, a refuge is a, a place that you run to in danger. It's a, it's a safe space. It's a shelter from the storm. And the idea of a refuge would have been one that was very familiar to the Old Testament Jew. Because right, in the Old Testament law, there's a differentiation, which we recognize today, of the, of the intentional killing of an individual. So intentionally killing someone that's known as murder. And the unintentional or accidental killing of an individual which is known as manslaughter. Now, for an individual who has committed manslaughter, right, the accidental slaying of another individual, in order to be protected until they could stay in trial, they were able to flee to six different cities. So there were six different cities throughout Israel that were known as cities of refuge. This is a place that they could go, that they could be protected, that they could be secure in order to face trial. So it's a place of protection, a place of security, a place to make us feel safe. And we all have refuges, right? Maybe it's your den that you go to after a long day of work just to, just to watch TV. Maybe it's your bed that you just collapse in in exhaustion. Maybe it's going to the lake. Maybe for, for a lot of men, maybe it's going to the garage and working on that old car. Maybe it's working on that wood project. But we all have refuges. We all have places that make us feel safe and secure. But for the believer, God is our refuge. Do not simply pass over those words when you read them in your Bible, when you read over Psalm 46. The God who created everything, who spoke the world into existence, who is omnipotent, who is omniscient, is our refuge. He is our refuge. He's the one that we run to in danger. So the security for the believer, for the Christian, is not in a place, but is in a person. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that we can be like 
like the child, the young child in the, in the middle of a storm. He, he hears the, the crackling of, of thunder. He sees the lightning. It gets louder. It gets louder. And so he instinctively runs to the safest place he knows, into the arms of his loving Father. So the, for the Christian, this is what we can experience. That God is our safe place and He's waiting with open arms to protect us. But not only is He our refuge, but He is also our strength. We are weak creatures. We get tired. We get hungry. We get weary. It's just part of our humanity. But God gives us strength. Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 12, when I am weak, then I am strong. It's counterintuitive, is it not? That when I'm at my weakest moment, it's at that point that I am strong. And Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. And some of you come into this worship time this morning absolutely exhausted. And let's be real, for some of you watching online, you are sitting in your pajamas on the couch with a cup of coffee right beside you right now. But we come in exhausted oftentimes because we seek rest, but we seek it in locations that will never give it. An extra hour of sleep is not True rest. It will not give us rest. A vacation to the mountains, to the beach, is not true rest. Only Christ can give rest. Only Christ can give comfort. Only Christ can give peace. Only Christ can give strength. But but take note. Because the, the strength that He gives us is, is not something that is external to Him. It's not something that He can package up and hand to us like a gift. Like, here, here's some strength. But rather, is His very person. It's His very presence that gives us strength. So, for the believer, having strength, having comfort, having peace will only take place in the presence of Christ. It's only in His presence that we will have strength. Do you want to know how to to have strength in the midst of COVID-19? Be close to Jesus. Be close to Jesus. He is our very present help in trouble. So that regardless of, of what you're facing, what difficulties you're dealing with, what trials you're going through. And I'm willing to bet, those watching online, those in this room, there are a lot of trials and a lot of difficulties going on. But that through the midst of it all, God is with His people. That God will not abandon us. He will not forsake us when things get hard. That's the, the great promise of the Great Commission. When, Matthew, uh, when, when Jesus is giving His final commission to His people, go and make disciples of all nations, He gives them this promise, right? And lo, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. That's the strength. That's the promise that we need. Because we will face trials. We will face difficulties. And in verses 2 and 3 of our text, make that clear. We will not fear, though, though the earth gives way, though the mountain is thrown into the heart of the sea. The mountain is the picture of strength, is it not? Of stability. Not a lot changes the mountain. It can face the storms. It will endure. But the sea, on the other hand, throughout the Bible, is the picture of chaos. It's disordered. It's turbulent. Think for a second of of the story of Jonah. We often think that the big fish that, that swallows up Jonah is the discipline of God for his disobedience, right? The, the being in the belly of the fish is the punishment that Jonah receives. But in actuality, the punishment of Jonah is not the fish. It's being cast into the sea. And so the, the great fish is not God's discipline, it's God's deliverance. Deliverance out of the chaos. So the sea is feared. It's feared today. Right? If you, if you go to the beach, especially with, with young kids, you make a point to, to emphasize, watch out for, for riptides, right? for rip currents. Because it, it just takes a second and you will be pulled out. It just takes one second and you are gone. The sea, the ocean is not a respecter of persons. It cares very little how much money you have or you don't have. It does not care about your family. It doesn't care about your influence, your title, your authority. It will destroy So even if the mountain, the very picture of stability, is tossed into the very picture of chaos, God is with us. God is our refuge. God is our strength. Jesus is a very help in trouble. Global pandemic for for many of us, is a mountain being thrown into the sea, and yet God remains. His rule has not changed. His love is not altered. Christ is still crucified, risen, ascended, seated at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling over all. He is still our refuge. What He has done has not changed. Praise the Lord for that. Selah. Think on it. And we move then from the present help in the, in the midst of difficulties to the security of the city of God. Look with me at verses 4-7. through seven. The psalmist writes, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. 
she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. So the psalmist begins this section with a picture of a river. A river that makes glad the city of God. And throughout the Bible, the, the river is an illustration. It's a picture of the blessings and peace of God. So the river, again, is a picture, an illustration of the spiritual peace and blessings flowing from God. Now think with me for a second. In the Garden of Eden, in the beginning, God's blessing is over His creation. And there are four rivers flowing, watering the land. And when Christ returns to make all things new, to establish His rule and to establish His reign, do you know what's lacking? The sea. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. But do you know what remains? The river. Revelation 22, 1-2 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. So in eternity, in the very presence of God, the river remains, but the sea is no more. God's blessings will flow freely to His people, and the chaos that comes from the curse will be gone. It will be no more. And the river will make glad the city of God. Now, the the city of God, again, is another theme that carries throughout the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, we get the the command from God, go and, and have dominion, build, grow, expand. And then in the Old Testament, Jerusalem becomes the center, becomes the focal point as the city of God. It's where the, the temple is built, so that God's presence is with His people in the city. It's where Jesus is, is crucified. He's crucified outside of Jerusalem. And in the end, when Christ returns, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven to the earth. And the city of God dwells in security and safety because God is in the midst of her. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. So our security comes as a believer not from being blessed by God, but by being in the presence of God. That our security, our assurance as a Christian comes not by receiving blessings, but by being in the very presence of God. In fact, to receive material prosperity, 
but not have God is not a blessing, it is a curse. And our assurance comes because we're going to a city to be with God. So God is with us currently, but we have a hope because we will be with Him and we will not be moved. And God will come to our rescue. See that in verse 5? God will help her when morning dawns. At, at first light, at the very start, God will rescue. And He has. He has in Christ. That while we were ungodly, while we were enemies of God, while we were weak, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. He was crucified to save and He rose again to welcome us into the eternal city of God. And we will not be moved. The nations will rage. The kingdoms will totter. They are unstable. They rebel against the true King of all. But at a single word, they will melt away. Just as God spoke the universe into existence with a word, so with a word, they will dissolve. So what do we have to fear of earthly kingdoms, of earthly nations? What can they do to us? After all, God is our fortress. He is our high tower. He is the one that we run to that enemies cannot break through. And this is the promise that Jesus gives. It's a spectacular promise. John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. He says, I give them eternal life. Who's the, who's the them? It's those who repent of their sins. Those who trust Christ. Those who believe in Him. He says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And if that's not enough, he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says, I and the Father are one. So we know that Christ will protect us. Now we need to understand that having Christ's protection does not mean that we will not face suffering. In fact, being a follower of Christ ensures that we will suffer. It says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Why? Because he says, I have overcome the world. So we shouldn't be surprised when Suffering comes, but God will be with us through it all. He will not abandon us. He is our fortress. And we are secure because we will dwell in the city of God with our God. Selah.
think on it. And thirdly, we should rightly trust God because He will conquer all His enemies. Verse 8 says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. Now when we, we hear that type of language, we, we usually think that it's going to be followed by and, and see this, this spectacular work that God is doing. How He's delivering His people. We think we're going to hear one of the, the amazing saving moments that God has done for His people. But look what we're told to behold. How He has brought desolations on the earth. So in this instance... It's the judgment of God being poured out that we're told to come and behold. And we need to remember that, that oftentimes the great moments, the great delivering moments, the saving acts of God are usually simultaneously moments of judgment against His enemies. Think of, think of Israel being delivered out of Egypt. That wonderful moment that becomes a key moment for, for Israel. He brings them out of Egypt. And yet, when he's delivering his people, he simultaneously judges Egypt. He brings that nation to its very knees. To show that he is God. Think of Elijah on, on Mount Carmel. We think it's a, a wonderful moment. We have this picture in our head. Elijah builds the altar, he has the sacrifice, and fire comes down from God and consumes the sacrifice, showing His glory, delivering Elijah. But then the prophets of Baal are slaughtered. God bringing judgment on the enemies. Think of the cross. God saving sinners, reconciling them back to Himself, and you will see the Son of God bearing the wrath of God in full. So God consistently throughout the Bible shows Himself to be righteous by protecting and saving His people while judging His enemies. Look at verse Nine. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. How does He make wars to cease? By slaying the wicked. So in this moment, it is, it is not a, per, a peaceful persuasion that takes place. It is the mighty hand of God pouring out His wrath on the enemies of God. Those who have rejected His rightful reign and rule. Think of Jesus, the same Jesus who said, Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Also said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And that same Jesus is described in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, as the rider on the white horse, who from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down 
the nations. And He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. He will end all wars by triumphing over the wicked who constantly and consistently rebel against His rule. It's the people who love darkness rather than the light. They've loved their sin. They've hated righteousness. They've rejected Christ. They've suppressed the truth. And He calls them to to be still. He says, be still and know that I am God. He says, be still. Be quiet. Stand at attention. Behold, I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So that those who have rejected Him will give Him the glory He deserves. So that at their condemnation, those who have rebelled, those who have rejected Christ, at their very condemnation, they will see the justice of God and they will acknowledge that He is righteous. So that in their condemnation, they will know that the condemnation they are receiving is correct. It is right for Him to do just that. And God will receive the glory. He will be exalted even by the unrighteous. But for the Christian, what do we have to fear? Our be still is not be quiet, stand at attention. It's be still. Watch your God work. See how your God acts on your behalf. See what He has done to reconcile you back to God. Look at the cross. What can man do to you? What can they do? We're to be still and watch the salvation of our Lord of our God, of our Redeemer, of our coming King. We need only praise and worship Him. He knows our names. He loves us. He cares about what is going on. And He's given His Son to reconcile us back to Himself. He is our fortress. He is our strength. He is the ever-present help in trouble. And what we need during this time is a rock that we can stand on. A rock that will endure. A rock that will not shake. It will not give way. You need to know that regardless of how your job situation pans out, how your health goes, that we are secure in Christ. That that 10,000 years from now, this will seem very small and insignificant in the face of the glory of Christ. It will seem very small indeed. So for the Christian, be still. God is with you. God is protecting you and you need only trust Him. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful reality that we have hope. Lord, we have hope that transcends current situations. Lord, the world needs this hope. It is asking questions. And Lord, I pray that for those that are maybe in this room or watching online or will watch later on, God, for those who do not know You as Savior, as Lord, as King, that this will be the moment that they repent and believe. That they can flee to the rock that is higher than they are. And to know that they will find stable and steady ground. Lord, I thank You that we are looking forward to a city. We are going to the celestial city, as Bunyan painted that picture, in which we are secure, we are safe, because God is with us. We look forward to that day when darkness will be defeated, when sin and chaos will be done away with, and we can rest with You in Your presence. So Lord, as we transition to worshiping You through music, I pray that that is exactly what we do. Lord, I pray that You would put a rock under our feet and that we can worship You as You rightly deserve. Move in this time, I pray, for the glory of Christ. And it's in His name that I pray. Amen.